So earlier this week, <clears throat> I was praying, and I knew Dad was coming into town with his team. And as I was praying, I just felt like the Lord said, make Sunday about being in a living room together and just having a heart-to-heart conversation. And one of the things that is a bummer for you with dad being here only three or four times a year as far as ministering is I talk to him every day. So I kind of wanted to bring you in as my church family and as his, did you know my dad and mom are members of Cornerstone Church? Come on. And as I was praying and prayer walking and I just saw like this opportunity to just expose our church family to, to me, besides my relationship with Jesus, this relationship I have with my father is one of the most formative, important anchoring relationships that I have. And I wanted dad to be able to speak candidly as a father to our house because he is a father of this house. Amen. Whether or not you realize it, he is, I promise you, and you'll find out a little bit more about that. So what I saw was just this, a very candid kind of, it's a little bit awkward because I'm trying to look at everybody here, maybe I'll, but is this okay? There's going to be a lot of Bible verses, there'll be a lot of Jesus, there'll be a lot of kingdom, there'll be a lot of vision, but I just saw it in my mind's eye, I just said, man, just sit down, not because he can't preach, he's preached more times than I've been alive, but I wanted my papa to be able to share his heart and you guys just to get to know our dynamic friendship father son a little bit and also just gets a little bit know a little bit more about dad all in favor say amen Amen. so i got really hard questions that he has no clue about just kidding i gave him the questions beforehand so he could be prepared But first of all, Dad or Dan Bohai, why don't you just tell us a little bit about how your journey with Jesus began? Well, um, I was in eighth grade, and I was on a mission trip with our church youth group, and I was causing so much trouble (laughs) that my youth pastors bought me a Greyhound bus ticket to send me home four days early on the youth trip. And on the way to the bus station, I asked them if I could pray to be saved first, because I knew I was going to be killed when I got home. (laughs) And that's, and I accepted Jesus then, and it actually did change my life, and I got to finish the trip. They didn't let me, they let me finish the trip. So that's how I came to faith in Jesus. And just tell us a little bit about sort of your upbringing. Did you grow up in a Christian family? What were some of the key influences in your life growing up? Well, my mom would probably be the most influential. Carolyn, she's like Jesus. She's really never said anything unkind ever in her life. Um, and I've known her my whole life, obviously. She's 86, and she's more like Jesus today than she was when I remember. And... It, my mom and then my daddy was an evangelist and he wasn't around much you know when I was growing up he was out doing what I do and so I remember like getting letters from my dad and they were like the most priceless things I could ever have so yeah but mom and dad raised in a Christian home but I was in trouble a lot until I came to faith and then God rescued me so 
to tell me a little bit between sort of eighth grade and obviously we'll get to 1995 in a little bit, but what was your journey with Jesus? You know, what was that kind of middle period of your life like? Well, yeah, I fell in love with Debbie. Um, Come on, give it up for Mama Deb. She had white painter pants and Chris Everett Lloyd's uh, yellow ball socks. You know what I'm talking about, ladies? I know his testimony, so I'm just yeah. filling it in right. Just keep but it. I, but I, I, fell, I fell in love with Debbie, and then in high school, I was an all-state, all-American basketball player, and we dated, and life was good. I kept pursuing the spirit. I kept pursuing God. I was hungry for God. I wanted God to always get the credit in my interviews in the paper about the games. But then after about three or four years of pursuing God, I never felt like anything really changed in my life. And so I stopped the pursuit. And then I went to this area where I dropped out of college because I just wanted to pursue career in business, building. And so it was, a, it was kind of a, I would call the wilderness winter experience from like age 17 to age 34. What kind of work were you doing during that time? Um, I, all kinds of construction work. We built houses and multifamily units and some light commercial. We had lots of different trades, lots of different companies, and lots of employees, and lots of pressure. Anybody know about pressure? <laughs> I don't think you're talking to the right crowd today. <laughs> pressure of life and business. So what would be sort of a burning bush, Moses burning bush story? What's a standout moment in your life? And just explain a little bit of backstory and then what it means for you even today. Well, like I said, from age 17, when I, I had been pursuing more of the spirit from age 14 to age 17, so about four years, but I never felt anything really change in my life. And so from age 17 on, I just kind of, I came to church but there was no power, there was no intimacy with Jesus, there was no, like, there was no, like, um, reality. I knew God was real, and I knew I wanted to go to heaven. I did not want to go to hell. But there was nothing in relationship. And so I got so desperate, I got so tired of church. You guys ever get tired of church? Don't answer that. Don't, don't answer that. <laughs> Just kidding. You can answer that. But I, but, I, but I tried to do everything in church to fill that void that only intimacy with Jesus will fill. You know, I did everything you can in church. And Paul calls it like filthy rags. If you're trying to achieve righteousness through works, it doesn't work. So in 1995, I was 34, and I was so desperate to be filled with God, to be filled with Jesus, to be overcome by Him, that I actually reduced my prayer life down to one prayer. Lord, if you can't take this fear and this greed and this lust and this pride out of me, if you can't take that out of me and fill me with you, then I would rather die than live this way. I was, in other words, I got to the point where I didn't want to live the way I was anymore. And in 95, I was 34 years old. That, that became my prayer life. And one day I was heading to work. And it was June 15th, 1995. And on the way to work, I got hit by a, a big 60,000 pound truck. And it 
busted up my body, put me in a hospital bed for over a year. But that first night in the hospital, in the ICU room, um, after all day of tests, I had a lot of encounters that day where I would see myself laying on the gurney, but I wouldn't be in my body. And an angel kept grabbing me and telling me, we're not done with you yet. So that was an interesting day. <laughs> and at the end of that day, it was in the evening in the ICU room that I, I got to the end of my ability to put on a mask and act like everything was okay. I was good at putting on a mask. I could act very secure, even though inside I was very full of fear. I could act like I had it all together, even though I was really falling apart. We learn how to do that because we don't want to face the reality that unless we get vulnerable and real, we're never going to be free. We're never going to get rid of the lies that the enemy tries to keep everybody in. The reason why we don't change cities is because everybody's operating in their own lies. We're all operating in our own deception. And um, so that night, I remember I was laying in the ICU. My wife said, honey, there's a lot of visitors that want to see you. And I, I was too afraid to see them. So I got to the end of me. And she left the room. And I was there alone by myself in the ICU room. And I just remember looking up and looking over at my heart monitor and it went flat. And then Jesus came and talked to me. And this is the moment that really changed my life. Um, he asked me two questions. The first thing he said to me was, son, I have forgiven your sin. I guess he didn't ask me two questions. He asked me one question. He told me he forgave me. And I'm thankful for forgiveness. Amen. Aren't you glad he forgives us? Aren't you glad his mercy's new every day? I mean, I'm glad. I'm thankful for that. But there has to be more than forgiveness or I would not have been in the state I was in. There has to be a deeper work than just forgiveness. And then he asked me a question. He goes, why don't you trust me with your life? I want your life. I don't want your sins. I want you. And so I just remember I said yes to God, but I meant it. I really didn't mean it. When I said yes, I'm yours. He came into me and somehow he took out the lust, the pride, the greed, the fear. He took it out of me. I don't know how he did it, but he did it. And once he got all that out of me, then I felt like he just filled me with his presence. And I haven't recovered from that. I mean, I haven't, I haven't gotten over it it's 23 years later. So that's the... That's the moment that really started the intimate walk with Jesus, okay? And so then what was that first kind of, that year, those 13 months in the bed, what, what was your spiritual appetite or diet, if you will? I just lived in the Word. All day long, I would read the Bible and pray and share my faith, and I just wanted more of the things of God. For, my, for the first time in my life, my appetite wasn't more success in business, or was it more power? Or was it more trying to be first and prove you're wrong? I had a desire that I just wanted Jesus to be glorified. And I wanted everybody to know him. In other words, for some reason, he shifted all my passions away from me. Wow. And put them on him. <laughs> and I don't know how he did that, except he's a supernatural God. Because I couldn't do it in all my years of trying. But that one moment of total surrender... He changed my desires in my heart. And so that first 13 months, 
I just lived in the word and prayer all day long. And every person I could share faith with, I would, I would share Jesus with. And a lot of people accepted Jesus. So it was awesome. And am I right in saying you sort of kept a journal during that first year or so to keep track of how many people were coming to faith? I, I asked you, so you won't, you, you won't lose your reward in heaven. So hundreds. He, he, that first six months, I didn't keep track after that first year. You know, my accident was in 95 in June. And I just kept track of people until Christmas. And I led 181 people to the Lord that year because... That's not a bad six-month run. <laughs> so what would you say, man, some of the biggest... What, how did you cut your teeth in the ministry? I know you kind of got hungry for God and you started reading. Your library got enormous and you just... You read and it abided, and you started some men's Bible studies. What was that kind of sequence, those first early well, years in ministry? After the Lord told me what he did to me, because I didn't know what happened to me, because we always want a theology. Everybody wants a theology so you know what you, what, what you believe. It's good to know what you believe, right? And so when God revealed to me that that's when he had purified my heart, filled me with the Holy Spirit, and got me on this walk of intimacy well, then I wanted everybody to have that same experience. So I started a men's Bible study and we actually outgrew houses. Yeah. And so a bunch of the men that had been filled with the spirit in the meeting, they built a barn on my farm that would seat 200 people. It was and, incredible. And, and every Wednesday from noon to about 3.30 in the afternoon, it's still going on, by the way. It started in 97. Men would come from all over Kansas City, every denomination, didn't matter what denomination was, and it was just like, we called it the glory barn. So that was the early days, you know. And you also cut your teeth preaching in one of the gnarliest prisons in the entire country, Leavenworth Penitentiary. Well, we, we went to five, <laughs> we'd go to five different prisons all the time, from Topeka to... Um, these are all cities in Kansas, by yeah, the way. To Lansing, to Leavenworth, all these different cities with the penitentiaries, state and federal. And we did five of those a week. And it was amazing. Like thousands of people came to Jesus. So, My dad and I when, I, when I was 15, 16, 17, I used to, I still do, I memorized several chapters in the Bible. And some of my earliest ministry memories was before dad officially was a traveling preacher dude, he would go on certain weekends, usually one or two a month. For years, he would just do little one-off Sunday morning, Sunday night, Friday night, Saturday night meetings. And he would oftentimes have me before he started, I would quote like an entire chapter of James or, or first John. And, and so my dad and I, from a very early, very, very early on, I've shared my story a bit, but we have been ministering together. And one of the most powerful ministry moments of my life, um, when I traveled for two, two years before Haley and I started having kids, which my wife is somewhere. She's due in a week, so keep us in prayer. Hi, honey. <laughs> Give it up for Haley Bug. She's amazing. But one of, those, one of the most powerful moments in my entire life was my dad and I did a tour in Florida. We were gone for 18 days. Remember that, honey? It was the longest we were apart from each other. And... And um, this is when I was really, really just full of thinking I had to be the preacher. I was early 20s, and it was hard to travel with Dad because he was always the preacher, and I'd have to be stuck doing the music. I don't have that view anymore. Come on. How many know growing up humbles you a little bit? My dad and I, I remember we were, we were in southern Florida, and we were sitting in his truck, 
And it was a father-son moment. Do you know what I'm talking about by father-son moment? Or maybe a, a, a mentor you moment. Everyone nod your head at me. And here's what my dad told me. He said, son, when we minister together, it feels like you're a stallion in the stalls waiting to run. <laughs> and he said, it's super hard because I, I feel your angst. It was one of the most realest moments. I was early 20s with my dad. And we had this moment where we kind of crossed this threshold, if you will, of, you know, little chatty and father. And it was in that truck cab in Florida where it felt like in the spirit for the first time we became co-laborers for Jesus Christ. And I never gotten over it when he just was able to speak. He saw me in the Lord. And I want you to know if you're a dad here or a mentor, or a spiritual parent, if you can speak identity and that you see those who God has put in your life as God sees them, it will change their life. When my dad spoke those words of identity, when he could see me, that night, I didn't feel like a stallion waiting to minister. I was at peace for the first time in my ministry traveling years. Come on, somebody. I was at peace because I had a mentor, a father speak a word of security, a word of identity in my life. And that night, we had the funnest time ministering together in our early years of ministry. So it's not my interview, but I had to share that because it was super powerful. So if you're a spiritual, if you're, yeah. So if you're a spiritual parent, if you're a grandparent, if you're an overseer, if, you're, if you have someone in your life whom God has given you charge over, never underestimate those moments in the truck cab. Does everyone know what I'm saying? When you can speak truth, you can say to your son or daughter or your, your young person or your grown, you can say, I see you in the Lord. I see you. All right, back to the questions. Man, sorry. A lot of pressure here. <sighs> what have been some of the biggest movements on your theological journey as you traveled. Tell us a little bit about when you lost all your money. Very little, because I want you to get onto the, this other great questions I have. But what have been some of the biggest shifts on your journey of figuring out who God is and what it means to follow him and to minister well, in his name? So the first revelation I just told you what happened in 95, when um, I just realized that God wants to be all. He, want, he doesn't want to help your life. He wants to become the life you're living. Does that Amen. make sense? So that's the biggest first revelation. The next big revelation that changed my theology was that God doesn't purify and cleanse and baptize and fill us for us. He does it for him so he can flow through us. And so I got this revelation that he wants to flow in the gifts and the fruit of the spirit. That's why he does it. So he can, use as his, he can use us as his body to touch the world. Amen? So I got this revelation. I didn't grow up getting the revelation on flowing in the gifts, but I did from the Holy Spirit. Amen? And the Bible. Did you know I like the Bible? He's crazy. <laughs> okay, so I, look, I'm just going to say this. My wife didn't like me to say it, but I want you to know. I've read the Old Testament over 80 times and the New Testament about 300 times. So I believe, I believe every word. I don't understand it all. 
I'm still trying to catch up to him, by the way, if you're wondering. He won't. He won't catch me. Well, he will, (laughs) because he'll live longer than me. Okay. The next revelation was the kingdom. And let me just say this. For those of you, you know, we're a Nazarene church. It's our heritage. It's our tradition. But there are many people from, who is from a sort of a non-Nazarene? Just raise your hand. Don't be ashamed. Kingdom, charismatic. I mean, the whole church. That's my point. So we are, we very much function as an ecumenical space for people. When dad got this, listen, I grew up in the flagship church in the church of the Nazarene. I'm honored by that. I mean, the anchor church in the world in Olathe, Kansas was the church I grew up in. I never once heard a teaching on 1 Corinthians 12 or 1 Corinthians 14. I'm not hating on my preachers. They're amazing. They are godly leaders who are leading nations. But in our tribe, there were some blind spots. There were some things where we just didn't talk about them. So being my father's son, I've gotten to see all of these developments in his life, and they've 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 helped me. Come on, someone say, thank God they helped you. So when dad was in this season, and it wasn't this free-for-all freaky, hey, everyone have gifts, woo, he began to teach line upon line, hello, what else are you supposed to do, out of 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. And in our tribe, the little Nazarene tribe, it was amazing, because people were like, whoa, all of that stuff is accessible to us? Come on, how many know, like when you discover a present that was under the tree that you didn't know was for you? So I, I just want to underscore for all of you non-Nazis, when, he, when that, there was a season of just reading the Bible, as he already shared, when he was sharing about all the times reading the Bible, what that did to thousands upon thousands who've never been exposed, whoa, I can expect God to do this. How many know Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever? So I just wanted to underscore as your pastor, that was a wonderful moment in his development that really created space for us. And we all said, amen. What happened after the gifts of the spirit? This, this, keep going. So Some of the, the revelation of the kingdom came. Everyone say kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Come on, started, everyone say kingdom of God. And I started realizing that everything is possible in the kingdom of God here, if we'll believe it like it is when we get there, which means he can be totally king here like he is there. When he has total dominion here, he can do the same things here as he can there. And I just started seeing the possibilities of living a kingdom lifestyle where it affects everything. It affects culture. It transforms culture. Amen? Amen. And so that was the next big revelation. The next revelation was this manifestation or the transfer of his presence. That I, so I started realizing there really is a God that lives inside of us. We're like the temple on legs. It doesn't take him 49 years to build us. It takes one moment and he can build a temple Wow. that he lives in, and we can, we're mobile God carriers. Wow. And if that's the case, then when we pray over someone or we touch someone, then that God that's in us is free to move into that person we're trying to minister to. And Amen. I, got, I had this season where a lot of things happened that I didn't understand. Thousands of people reacted in different ways that Nazarenes don't react. And... Um, it caused controversy. It caused controversy because when you would pray for people and people would fall down, people would understand that. And so I almost, after a couple of years of that, started feeling condemned like I shouldn't probably lay hands on people. <laughs> so I backed off because I didn't want people to have to come to me. I want people to come to Jesus. I mean, Jesus is the one that's touching them. It's not me. And so that was a revelation. Then the next revelation that came into my life really was, I think, the... It's the main one I preached on last time I was here, and it's becoming love. 
Because unless we're willing to become love, come on, love doesn't have its own agenda. Love doesn't get offended. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. It never fails. Come on. I mean, unless we're willing to become that, all these other things are going to fade away. Does that make sense? Because love remains forever, and love is the greatest thing. So that, that's the revelation I'll be living in the rest of my life. The kingdom's still real. The gifts are still real. The manifestation's still real. The sanctifying baptism of the Spirit's still It's all real, but it's all for one end. God wants everybody to become like Jesus. Come on, man. And Jesus is love. Whoa. And tonight, I'm going to share another revelation with you that I think if you'll buy in and catch the vision, your church could change this whole city in less than 10 years. What did you just say? Okay, tonight, if you come, (laughs) now I don't want you to come tonight unless you want to receive that revelation. But the deepest, newest revelation that God's given me, I'm going to share tonight. And I will show you that just the people in this room, if you'll do this vision this whole city will be transformed in less than 10 years. Amen. So that's kind of the journey. Does it's that make kind of sense? cool. So answer this, because this is for all of us have experienced this one. How have you learned to deal with setback, heartache, opposition, flat out accusation in your life or your ministry? This just in business, how have you learned to deal with it. Because how many have ever had to deal with setback? Can you raise your hand? Or difficulty or opposition? Teach us, man. Show us. Tell us how you've learned to do that. It, it, it all goes back to staying in the peace of God. I knew it. Anytime, anytime that you're doing stuff that you have to have outside reinforcement to keep you in a peaceful state of mind, it's all going to come down crashing. But if you live your life knowing that the sustaining presence of Jesus is your only source of peace and joy, happiness comes and goes, right? Happiness is emotion. Joy is not emotion. And so if everybody turns on you, if the joy of the Lord is your strength, how can joy ever leave you? Come on. If, if, if accusations come or setbacks come or great loss comes, Jesus already told us we're going to have all kinds of tribulation in the world, but he's already overcome the world, and he gives us his peace. Aren't you glad that we can stay in peace in the midst of any storm? Amen. So that's, I always go back to that. You have a a one-liner you taught me years ago. You said, Chatty, you've got to follow the peace. Unpack that just really briefly. What does it mean to follow the peace? If you get too busy where you can't hear the voice of God, peace uh, leaves about as fast as the sunset. But if you'll slow down enough to stay in the rhythm of the Spirit to where you live and you move. I heard this guy pray this morning. You prayed from Acts 17. We live and we move and we have our being in Him. In other words, if we're a branch that never unplugs from the vine... You know when you've done something out of step with the Spirit because now you get anxious and you think you have to do more yeah. instead of relax. So to me, to follow the peace is this. When I can tell that I'm getting frazzled and thin in my spiritual, emotional well-being, mm-hmm. it's because I'm trying to do things that the Spirit hasn't even qualified or asked me to do yet. Wow. So i got to slow down enough to stay in the jet stream. Yeah. How does that I like that. I I have to learn 
to slow down on a, sometimes a daily basis because there's so much happening that if I don't slow down, I, I feel like now I've reverted back to walking in the flesh even though I started so well in the spirit. And the dumbest thing any of us could do is to try to do in our flesh or our own ability what God only can do in the spirit and his ability. Does that make sense? That's good. All right, we're we're winding down here. You've been all around the country and world. You've been to 1,100 plus churches, which that may not sound like a big deal to you. It's like crazy, the ministry that God has given this guy and his team and us. We're his home church. Come on, somebody. As you've seen all of these churches of different flavors, different sizes, what are some of the, and everybody lean in here, what are some of the intangible, non-negotiable characteristics, values, passions, or convictions have you seen really stand out in churches all over the world that you view as thriving, life-giving, extending the kingdom type churches? If you can think of a few, just a few characteristics or values, we would love to hear them. If you agree, say amen. Well, for the number one thing is a church has to be a house of prayer. Without there, it falls down. It has to be a house of prayer. I don't mean people that pray. I mean a praying church. There's a difference. So that's the number one thing. Number two, it has to be a house of worship. Where praise is always greater than working out or trying to figure out how to solve the next dilemma. In other words, we praise first. And then God gives us revelation on how to get through the problems. So living from a a God perspective instead of a problem need, that's only possible if you live a life of praise. And I'm not talking about singing. I'm just talking about worshiping as a lifestyle, right? Mm -hmm. So prayer and praise. The next thing is it has to be word-driven. I mean, it has to be the word. Heaven and earth are going to pass away, but my word will remain forever. And so it has to be a word-driven church. Number four, it has to be an outward mobility church. It can't be about us. It has to be about us celebrating what we're doing in them. In other words, it's for the sake of the world. Does that make sense? We're we're touching the needs of people. We're, We're sharing our faith with people. We're trying to actually multiply the life of Jesus in us with other people. And then the fifth thing would be obviously the multiplication of discipleship or discipleship making. So it's prayer, praise, the word, Come on, Hmm. prayer, praise the word. By the way, that's how Jesus defeated the devil. (laughs) Prayer, praise, and the word. And and then it has to be about meeting the needs, reaching out to others, and then discipleship. To me, that's the five things. And if churches get those five things down, they have huge kingdom impacts Hmm. on their cultures. That's awesome. And just as we wrap up, I've only got a couple more. What did God show you a few years back and... and, um, and this journey of 1,100 churches really is a journey of the last six, seven, eight years, correct? You've been traveling, you traveled alone for five of those years, correct me? Seven and a half years I traveled alone. Traveled alone seven and a half years and now. i had team members for two and a half now. He's had team members for two and a half, and two of them are here, Jay and Judy. Everybody say hi to Jay and Judy. Amazing. You know what, but, Chad? I'm going to have Jay come up and share. Okay. Just for a second. Um, I want Jay to share about what he's going to offer the next couple days. Is that okay? Get up here. Give it up for Jay. Give it up for Jay. You can sit by me if you want to. He just did a popcorn seat. It's good to be back. Praise the Lord. Hey, Judy and I are going to be here, and we just want to minister. 
we have, we're stuffed full of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and we just want to give out. And so we would like to make appointments with people. Not, it doesn't necessarily have to be healing and deliverance, but we would, if, if there's questions, how do we operate in the Spirit? What does that look like? We had someone come to us this morning and ask a question about that. I'm being shaped and formed in a way that I don't understand. Can you help me to understand what's going on inside of me? And in the reality, all of us in the kingdom should be pregnant with promise and always at a place where we're about to give birth. And so what does that look like, that transitional moment? And so if there's questions like that, we would like to help answer those questions, not because we really know, but because he knows and we're connected to him and he'll tell us and we'll share it with you. And so there, there will, we will open uh, or we'll have opportunities, as I said, to meet with people for deliverance if that's something you need, um, just to get your identity back. You, you brother talked about this morning. You know, I, I was, I, Judy and I talked about this this last week. I don't suffer temptations for sexual immorality or drinking or anything other than identity. I'm always tempted to come into an agreement with a lesser identity than what Jesus has given me. Come on. And if I can walk in my identity, and if you can walk in your identity, people that carry identity, we impart identity, right? I mean, you can't help but impart identity when you walk in your identity. And so it's so important. So if you're, if you're stuck in that area, we want to pray with you. If you need a physical healing, we, we see many, many people healed in our sessions, and we just know it's Jesus. He's there. And, and we just follow a simple model. 1 Corinthians 14, 1, we pursue love. He's Jesus, right? Jesus is love. Amen. We pursue him in every relationship. So if you come meet with us, we're going to pursue Jesus in that relationship, and you will be touched by Jesus because he is love and he's in the room. Secondly, we desire, we earnestly desire spiritual. We want to hear what Holy Spirit is saying, and we want to be moment-by-moment conduits of God's kingdom and his release on the earth. And so we're continuously listening. As we listen to you, we will listen to Holy Spirit. He will release what's, because he's the great I am. He's the same yesterday, today, right? Come on. Amen. And if we're plugged in and connected, what you need can be received through conduits. That's who we are, the temples Dan talked about. And then thirdly, come on, we want to prophesy. We want to speak the heart of the Father, whether it's the written word that we just simply quote, or it's forthtelling, or just simply releasing right now a word of knowledge that would come because God wants you to know his presence is there. We want to, we want to partner with you for that. And so at the end of the service today, uh, and tonight at the evening service, Judy and I will be at the table in the back where our resources are. And if you would like to meet, just come and set up an appointment. We'll be here all week. Love you guys. Say thank you, Jay. Sit down real quick. Come here real quick. So tell me, when you guys travel, and then dad's coming, he had to take a break for one minute, and I have one last question, so nobody leave yet. When you guys travel, what does it sort of look like? What What does the team do when they're not in a service? So, so we meet, our, our team has, I've never experienced it before in my life, never. I've never seen it anywhere else. I read it in the Bible, but we experience a community like nothing I've ever, I mean, it's just incredible. We spend a lot of time praying with each other, caring for each other, ministering, um, repenting, confessing the schemes of the enemy that's at work in our minds so that we can remain free. And so we, we just do life together. It's incredible. That's what we do. Yeah. Right on. Give it up for Jay. Dad, yeah. one more question. Oh, man, I didn't know I was that hard to give an interview. Sorry, buddy. But anyway, okay. So a few years back before I was the pastor here and God was moving in the church and in the church of Santa Maria, and if you've tracked at all with the history of Santa Maria, there have been very, very many godly men and women who have spoken destiny and identity over this city. 
Shake your head at me if you've heard about that. God has spoken words about Santa Maria being a hub for revival and and uh, just God doing amazing things. So will you please tell us, before I was here, so there's nothing to do with Chad being here, but um, what did God show you as you were traveling the whole country, ministering to thousands of churches, what did he show you as you were on the 101 passing Santa Maria? Well, I think it was about five years ago. You know, Santa Maria used to be the city that was the last city I would drive through before I got to Chad's house because he lived up there in the five cities. Are you with me? So I didn't know anything about Santa Maria, except I knew it had an in and out burger because I could always see it in my peripheral vision as I'd drive by. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and um, I remember driving through, and it was probably right here where the exit is. I remember feeling so overwhelmed by the Spirit one day that I nearly had to pull over. And the Lord told me that he was going to birth a revival out of this town. I didn't really know anything about it that was actually going to shift and change the nations out of this town. And I remember telling Chad about it, and he goes, well, whatever, because he didn't, he didn't know anything about it. He didn't know I probably didn't that. actually say that. <laughs> he has sometimes selective memory. But I mean, I just, I got, God showed me that this town was going to birth a real revival. I didn't know Chad was going to be the pastor here. And isn't it prophetic that it's on the cornerstone of Jesus that the revival will be birthed on? And we'll take it. Yeah. So at the end of the day, what do you hope? My wife didn't know what an epitaph was. Does everyone know what an epitaph was? I'm not, I shouldn't have said that. Uh, is it, isn't it called an epitaph, a gravestone? Is it the same thing? Shake your head at me. Oh, the epitaph is what's... It's what, so I was wrong. Everyone say, Haley was right. And then just record that and then replay it over and over and over again. And then that's my life. Hallelujah. <laughs> wow, let that moment of humility just soak in right now. I receive it, Holy Spirit. On the gravestone upon which the epitaph is written... Dad, what do you want to be there? What do you want to be? What do you want your legacy to be? What do you want that last sentence? What's your end game, Papa? I don't want to end there. Can I just do one more thing about the church before we do that? Yeah, sure. You're the dad. I'm just the son in submission. So I've had a lot of privileges to see and experience a lot of things. I've been blessed more than I ever deserved to be blessed. Um, I mean, I can't even describe. It, I, don't, I can't describe it. You wouldn't believe it, and you would be mad at me unless you were sanctified. If you're sanctified, you'll be rejoicing with me. But I have been blessed beyond measure. No matter how bad, listen to this, no matter how bad trials... I've had physical trials. I got hit by a semi. It's messed up my body for the rest of my life in certain areas. No matter how bad the assaults of the enemy, how many know he comes? He's real. No matter how bad people come against you, the Lord's blessing has made it look so minuscule. So I'm so blessed. But with all that being said, hmm, 
I can't live what's deep, deep in my heart on the road. I need a local expression of what's in my heart. And that's why I feel like this church is going to end up playing one of the major roles in our ministry. Um, I don't want to come be a pastor. I just want to come and equip and give everybody here permission to take a city for Jesus. I want to help what I want to help what God has put in my son. My son is so far gifted beyond me. He doesn't have the experience. He's young. Come on, he's young. I'm 57. He's 34, but he's more gifted. He's more. He just knows everything I don't know. So I don't want to take his place, but I want to have fire behind him, letting him go way, way past where my wildest imaginations are. Does that make sense? And so, um, but I see, you know, I see, I see this church in the next 10 years being a church that has places all over the city and all over the region. And, and it'll be a thing built on those pillars of prayer and praise and the word, and reaching out and multiplying to where nothing can stop the kingdom from taking over a whole region. And I believe God is putting together the pieces for that. I believe it's going to happen. And you guys are a part of it. This is like the very beginning. This is the beginning of a revival culture that will sustain. Isn't that awesome? So it's a big deal. So, yeah, what, what do I want on my grave? Good grief. I'd like you just to come back before that happens. <laughs> you can't answer that. <laughs> That's a trick answer. <laughs> but what I would like, my last phrase, that he was, he, he was madly in love with Jesus. That's just what I want. I want to be madly in love with Jesus. Amen? Can we all just say thank you to Dad? And this is maybe out of his wheelhouse, but he did great. Thank you. And if I, yeah, if the son can have the last word, say amen. amen. One of the coolest things by far as we close down and, and we've had ministry time already for prayer, but we'll do it again at the end, but I'm just going to get emotional. Just get over it. One of the coolest things that God has done this last two and a half years being your pastor I've been deeply, deeply humbled. It's been incredibly difficult, not because of you. There was a phrase I said for a couple of the first two years I was here. Is, the phrase is, it's not hard for God to use a man. It's hard for God to find a usable man. And that's not gender specific. It's woman, man. So the Lord's been refining but by far one of the coolest things, Emily helps me with this a lot too, and my team. I'm to the place now, I just want to be at the table when the kingdom is crashing in. I don't care who's at the head. Jesus is at the head. Does that make sense? So when my dad says, you know, be the fire behind him or whatever that spiritual language was, but... What God has done in your pastor is I genuinely just want to be in the game. I want Jesus to get credit. I don't care. I mean, I, I honor titles and positions, and I am thankful that you have 
called me to be your lead pastor, then I honor that and I, I think about it every day, all day, and I pray. But I just want you to know one of the coolest things that God has done by having the father that I do is we just want to be a part of God doing something that no man could pull off apart from his power and presence. If you agree, can you say amen to that? And it's just been, it's been so cool for the Lord's humbling hand. The humbling hasn't been fun, but the fruit that he is producing and will eventually produce is worth all of the fire, all of the refinement. And so if you're in a season of refinement, don't itch for the fast forward. Allow the Lord to do the deep work. Allow him to cleanse, allow him to work your dreams and your desires. He doesn't want you to repent away. He just wants it to be in alignment with his vision for your life and for his kingdom purposes first. Amen? But he wants you to dream. Come on, someone say, he wants me to dream. He wants me to have ambition. Come on. He wants me to have passion and vision. And I believe God is gonna take us into a season of those things that you will wake up in the middle of the night and think, I had no idea I had permission to pursue that in the power of God's presence and spirit. And that's my desire. That's why I wanted to do this interview type thing is there's something that God has ordained when fathers and sons and grandsons get into alignment that brings us into order and alignment so that in the house, the spirit can just land on sons and daughters and begin to move and to minister with no resistance or friction. And if that's your desire, can you just give me a fist bump and say, that's our desire. So Jesus, I pray right now for my family. I'm honored to be in this family. I'm honored to have these people. We're just trying to figure it out. But Lord, our eyes, I've read it this week, like Jehoshaphat, our eyes are on you. And what we do know is we're going to seek you with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our strength. And we will trust you to deliver your word in the season. And you, in the meantime, are preparing an army ready to say yes to what Jesus is saying and doing in our time for his glory and for our good. And so, Lord, I pray that you would mobilize us now. I pray that natural friendships would develop, that we would go have wonderful lunch and that God, you would take our church into its destiny, into its glorious future with Jesus, our King at the center, the spirit of God and his fire burning in every heart, the word infusing our lives, communities being formed and fashioned all for the glory of our King Jesus. Send us now, Lord, commission us as your people in Christ's mighty name, amen and amen.